Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I'd like to read uh, the first 12 verses. Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more power that they can do. Have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear whom who, who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the, before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. May his uh, precepts bring understanding that we may hate every uh, false way. Almighty Heavenly Father, the uh, spiritual things are not discerned by the natural man. So we ask, Lord, that you would give to us your Holy Spirit to understand the spiritual things that you have spoken of here. To understand how they apply to us. Grant us faith that we may lay hold of your word. Receive it. Believe it. And practice it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had been at a supper. Uh, he, was invite, he was an invited guest at a Pharisee's house. And Jesus took that opportunity to pronounce a series of woes against the Pharisees. It's not what we might consider the best thing to do in polite company take the occasion of their hospitality to pronounce woes against them, to point out their uh, failures. But these were not just ordinary people. These were the leaders of the church. These were the elders. This was the clergy, if you will, of the church in Jesus' day. And they were false shepherds. Jesus was often angry at the things that they did and the things that they said and even the things that they thought in their heart. He was angry with a righteous anger. And so, when they marveled in their own hearts that He hadn't washed before dinner. He used that occasion to 
pronounced these woes against them. How they focused on externals, external matters, forgetting the heart. And we saw last time when we looked at this passage, uh, this previous chapter, we saw there are many applications of, of these practices that were prevalent in Jesus' day. Many applications in our day. Churches that are more about the performance and the choreography and less about opening the Word in preaching and in worship. The church life was more about having fun and getting together to play games and it is about coming together to pray, to open the Word. Jesus pronounced woe on them because they focused on things that were unimportant to the exclusion of things that were weightier. It's not wrong to do the unimportant things, but Jesus is saying they, that's all they did and they ignored the more important things. They, the example Jesus gave was that they tithed on the little herbs that they got out of their garden. and But that they forgot mercy and justice the weightier matters of the law. And today we, we saw that our churches can be no different. We can spend our days in meetings and administrations and in building campaigns and to the exclusion of prayer, teaching from house to house and so on. They glorified, Jesus pronounced a woe on them because they glorified humans at the expense of Christ. They liked the honors that came before men. And, and much of their life was consumed with getting and enjoying these honors from men. Today, theology is dominated by academics and by academic scholars that write many things about, about the Bible for degrees in, di- in dissertations, but very little applications. They're great displays of knowledge, but lack nourishment. And academics love degrees and honors. And Jesus condemned these people. Actually, then the lawyers said, well, you're really stepping on our toes. And so Jesus said yes and went on to give three more woes against the lawyers who would be the equivalent of like the teachers, the <coughs> those who are uh, what we might call seminary professors today. And he also gave woes on them, pronounced woes on them because they were hypocrites in that they place great burdens on everybody else, but they themselves didn't do. They were saying, do as we say and not as we do. And so, um, we again, that is another com- very common uh, attribute in our churches today, that there are many elders falling into all sorts of immorality and they, have, they lay low a while and then they come back once the scandal has blown over and continued right on teaching people to do the very things that they uh, don't do and teaching people not to do the very things that they do. So that has resulted in a whole generation of people that are very soured on, on church membership because they've been hurt by such elders. So they believe that that is an excuse to avoid the church. And so it's in this context then. Jesus has been pronouncing these woes. He's in this, he's in this uh, social occasion at this Pharisee's house. And he's just made the Pharisees very angry at him. And, and they uh, are lying in wait for him. Seeking to catch him in something that they might accuse him. They're assailing him. They're trying to cross-examine him about many things. And so in the meantime, 
Our text, chapter 12, opens. In the meantime, while all this is going on, a crowd has gathered around Jesus. Because although the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, many of the people loved to hear him teach. Because he spoke and taught with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He explained things. He, people understood. He, brought, he proclaimed the gospel. He delivered the captives. He did not bring them into captivity. And so this crowd had gathered, and it was such a big crowd that it was trampling people. I mean, we've, we hear about these kind of crowds from time to time, at, often at sporting events, um, usually in other countries, where the crowds are so big that just in the process of the crowd moving from one place to another place, people get killed. They get trampled underneath and die. And this is apparently what's happening. It doesn't say anybody died, but they are trampling one another. And he began to say then to his disciples, these are the, these are the whether it's the 12 or the 70, these are the people who followed Christ. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He didn't say, beware of the Pharisees, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware that this leaven in the Pharisees doesn't infect you as well. There's a danger here. That's the word beware. It says there's a, there's a danger. Something can harm you. And it isn't the Pharisees that can harm you, although they might, but it is the leaven of the Pharisees it's something else about them that that you can adopt that's going to harm you. And what is leaven? Well, if you anybody that bakes knows knows what leaven is. It's what it's what makes bread or flour products, cakes and things. It's what makes them light and fluffy. Without leaven, a loaf of bread would be like a rock. And once it dried a little a day or two, you would have a hard time eating it. Leaven is what makes that bread uh, have air in it. Leaven is an effect that permeates throughout all of the dough. But while the effect is obvious, the leaven itself is not. You, you really can't tell one moment to the next before you put the leaven in and after you put the yeast in your bread and you mix it in it does there's no immediate difference but but there's a huge effect over time there's a huge effect on the bread and the leaven permeates in ways that you can't see it permeates throughout that whole bread and it brings an influence there an influence it works in an unseen way, but it has a very visible influence. Scripture uses leaven to describe this, and it occurs in a number in several different places. It's used to describe the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like uh, uh, leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until all was leavened. This is this is the way the kingdom grows. It it's not. Uh, some visible thing that's uh, some king that's sitting in Washington D.C. who's passing these laws and and, and creating this uh, um, perfect sinless society. That's not how the kingdom of heaven goes. It's like the leaven that's hid, and it has an influence that permeates, and it through that it it affects everything. Through that leavening effect, the Roman Empire was toppled. And went from being persecuting the Christians to itself being a Christian nation, kingdom. Meaning the king acknowledged Christ. It was the king, by the way, that, that king that called and paid for and even in some ways um, uh, was, was followed that first ecumenical council in, in, in Nicaea. Well, evil can infect the church 
in a similar subtle way. And we need to be, Jesus is saying, we need to be aware of that. It's because it's easily missed until the effect is completed. In Matthew, Jesus said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you remember the, the disciples thought that Jesus was talking about bread. And he, was, he thought that they were, he was uh, criticizing them or, re, or rebuking them for failure to bring food. And Jesus had to say, no, that's not what we're talking about. Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. The doctrine. The teaching. And here Jesus identifies the leaven of the Pharisees as hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now we normally think of hypocrisy as practicing differently from what we are teaching. If someone is practicing one thing, they say it's wrong to drink alcohol, but then when no one's looking in private, they drink alcohol, then we would say that's hypocritical, a hypocrite. That's how we normally use the word. But I think what Jesus primarily has in mind in this case is something which is empty and useless in the sight of God. Something that's empty and useless. Something that isn't what it looks to be. And and to see that, we need to remember where this Greek word came from. It, it's the word for an actor. In Greek, an actor was a hypocrite. What we call a hypocrite. It's where that word comes from. It's someone who throws themselves into a part where they are really living the part so much that they, that they actually live the part that they are playing. One famous actor said, modern actor said, when I'm playing a character, I am being them in those moments. It is definitely the closest thing to a real spiritual experience that I can describe. It's like I connect to the emotional state of another being that's other than my own and that is very freeing, unquote. He's describing being an actor and putting on something that isn't re- real, but it looks real. And in order to make it look real, he's got to actually be that person. In order to play the role of a Holocaust victim who played the piano, one actor not only learned to play Chopin, but he also lost 30 pounds from his already lean figure, frame, in just six weeks. And he gave up all his luxuries like his cell phone and his Porsche. And he even abandoned his longtime girlfriend in order to be able to know and to live a life of somebody who is deprived of food, deprived of, of, of things that he normally had. But you see, even if they go that far, to make it look like they are someone they're not, to make it look real, it's not. They aren't the person they are playing. They're just, it's just a pretend. It's just an act. And so we call them an actor. See, there's a discrepancy between what is objectively true and what is subjectively true in their experience. This, that one actor, he said, I, I feel like that person. I am that person. That's how he felt. And in order to play the part and make it real, that's what he needed to do. But it wasn't objectively true. He wasn't that person that he was playing. He was just looking, just pretending. And see, this play acting is just as common in the church today as it is in Hollywood. And it was true of the church in Jesus' day. Clergy who play the role as shepherds of Christ's flock and people who play the role of disciples of Christ. But see, such role playing is empty and meaningless. It's vain, it's futile in God's sight. How do we know that someone 
is following a role or playing the part of another person. Well, if they're following a person and not Christ, if they're following a person and not Christ, then when that person that they're following stumbles, falls into sin, then they give up everything that they were doing to follow that person. The doctrines they taught, they quit believing them. They may even quit going to church. They may even give up the faith altogether. Because you see, in their mind, these things that they were doing were connected to the person that they were trying to be like. And they were not connected to Christ. And so when that person stumbles, then their faith is gone. And the things that they were doing, they no longer do. A great sermon that may have been preached now becomes a bad sermon even though nothing in the sermon changed. See, Paul could rejoice that Christ was being preached even if he was being preached from wrong motives. If the truth was being proclaimed, Paul could rejoice that Christ was being proclaimed even if the person doing it was doing it in order to increase his increase Paul's trouble even if he was doing it from wrong motives from selfishness or ambition Paul rejoiced that Christ was being preached one example that I see a lot today is a, a, one example of play acting that I see a lot today is modest dress it's commanded in the scriptures you're commanded to dress modestly, men and women. The Bible talks about someone who has the attire of a prostitute, a harlot. So there's obviously dress that the Bible condemns, whatever that attire is. I mean, that might be a separate discussion, but there is some standard of modesty in the Bible. And so we are, um, we are to dress modestly. But for many, the, their, their dress is apparently not based on their desire to follow Christ and to, and to know His Word and to walk in obedience to Him, but it's out of a desire to follow a person. That they're, in a certain con- they're in a certain congregation or they're, in a certain, they're, they're following a certain teacher. And that's the way they do it there. So they, in following them, that's what they do. And then when that when that person stumbles or when that when they realize that person isn't perfect, then they wholesale abandon their way of dress. And so I've known families, and you probably know too, that they dress one way at one period of time, and then several years later you run into them again, and they look totally different. What happened? They weren't. They they were play acting. They were play acting. They were following someone other than Christ. What they were doing wasn't born out of their love for Christ and their, their understanding of His Word and what it calls us to do. See, when, when that's the case, then we follow that as all the days of our life. There is no change because Christ doesn't change. Sometimes our understanding of the Word changes. But then we are able to articulate that. And we, yes, we do change our practice as the Lord shows us more of His Word. But oftentimes, when, you, when well, always when I speak with these people, there's no change in their theology. Not, there wasn't a change in their theology at all. It was, it was, they were play-acting. Now, they didn't, maybe didn't realize that. But that's what the Bible says they were doing. Another area where you see this play acting is, is in courtship. Joshua Harris wrote a book on courtship when he was about 21 years of age called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And it was very, very popular 20 to 25 years ago. Lots of groups were reading it and, and uh, trying to adopt it. I never read it myself. But a lot of people apparently followed these methods thinking that they would bring them happiness 
thinking that their marriage would be better just because they did these things. Well, that's play acting. When the when they encountered the realities of life and difficulties, when they encountered sin in themselves and others and things didn't work out the way they imagined they would, the way they thought they were supposed to, then they became disillusioned. And they blamed the book that they were trying to follow. That's play acting. That's play acting. It's hypocrisy. When we're following Christ and, and we encounter difficulties, we count them a joy knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience and when patience has its perfect work, it makes us perfect and complete. We know that difficulties come because the Lord is, loves us and He's chastening us. And so we don't despise that chastening and we don't grow weary in it. We recognize that the Lord loves us and is teaching us and we grow from it. But when people are play-acting, they become hardened by it. And they become bitter about it. And they resent it. Play-acting can involve following the commandments of men. Paul said about that, Therefore, if you died with Christ... From the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They are of no value. They're useless. And that's what Jesus is talking about with something that's hypocritical. It's of no value. It's not reality. They are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Another error uh, uh, that is uh, the leaven of the Pharisees is then to go the other way and to completely ignore biblical wisdom and say, well, it doesn't matter how we go about getting married. It doesn't matter how we, we dress. It doesn't matter um, about um, drinking, not drinking alcohol or going to movies. So there's some, those are some of the commands you know, that, that people come up with. Don't, go to, don't drink alcohol. Don't go to movies. Don't dance. Don't smoke or drink or go with those who do. And so one, one error, the other error, is to entirely throw all godly wisdom out and say, well, it doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't matter what you watch. It doesn't matter who you're with. And that's just as, just as futile. The Bible says, don't be deceived. Bad company, evil company corrupts good habits. The things that we watch do affect us. They do, they do corrupt our thinking. We have to be careful what we watch and the friends that we spend time with and the way we dress. It is important. And how we go about seeking a wife or a husband. Those things are important. The Bible does speak to them. See, both of these errors are really the same thing and it's people that are not following Christ. It's hypocrisy. It's pretending. It's play acting. When we are following Christ, then these things that we do flow out of that living relationship that we have with Him. They flow out of the Holy Spirit leading us. They flow out of our love for Christ and our desire to be like Him, to be conformed to His image, to put off the futile way of thinking of this world. You see, then it doesn't matter 
really what happens to the people around us. When they stumble we can, and hurt us, we can forgive them. It doesn't, it doesn't stop us from following Christ. And the second thing that Jesus gives as this um, answer, antidote to the leaven of the Pharisees is he, is he teaches us who to, who to fear and who not to fear. If we're following somebody, if we're play-acting in a role, then we're going to be very concerned with what whoever we're following says to us or what they're going to do or not do. But if we're following Christ, Jesus said, you don't, we don't have to fear anyone else. We fear the Lord. My friends, he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Jesus connected this leaven leaven with not only the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees as its doctrine, but he also talked about the leaven of Herod. Now Herod was a king. He was the ruler at that time. And he was a wicked ruler. And, and the people uh, would have had a tendency to fear him. He, he could take their life. He, he, he uh, beheaded John the Baptist. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. This is the first death. The scriptures speak of death in two primary ways. A first death and a second death. And this first death, it, it doesn't. the Bible doesn't actually talk about first death. It talks about a second death, which implies there has to be a first death. It speaks of a first and a second resurrection. But this first death is the separation of the body and the spirit. The body returns to the dust and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And in this condition of death, the biological functions of the body cease. But the person, the conscious existence of the person doesn't cease. And the Bible calls this death an exodus, a departure, going away. Peter spoke of his death as a departure in Second Peter 1. And that word departure is what the word we get exodus from. Exit by our doors, a going away. And if you go away, you're not there. You can't, you're not there to, to find. Christ spoke of, his, of this when he talked about going away where they would not be able to see him. We can't, we can't uh, uh, converse with people that have departed, that aren't found in the house. They aren't found anywhere on the earth because they've departed but they haven't ceased their conscious existence. The body continues to exist, turning to dust in the earth, but being will be resurrected at the last day. So both, um, both elect and non-elect are said to be in Sheol or Hades in the New Testament, following the first death. This is, a, this is only a temporary situation, lasting until the resurrection. The elect have the promise that they will be delivered, their bodies will be delivered from Sheol. But in the last day, the, the Hades and all who are in it are said to be cast in to the lake of fire. And that's where the reprobate are cast, into the lake of fire. And so that's what Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. They can, they can cause this separation of body and soul. They can cause our body to cease its biological function. They can take that life away from us, but they cannot take our conscious existence away from us. They cannot separate us from the love of God. 
I will, because I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Now that hell there is the word Gehenna. It's, it's the lake of fire. It's the burning, it's the burning dump in, outside of Jerusalem. It's the place where Hades and death are said to be cast into this lake of fire with Satan that was prepared for Satan and his angels and into which all of the reprobate are cast. And the Bible says this is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus says, we're, to, we're not to fear a man that can take our, separate our body and soul, but we're to fear him who can cast us into the lake of fire, into hell. Into hell. The, the Bible describes this second death as being eternally cut off from the presence of God and from the glory of His power. And, and in that separation, you see, begins the moment of the, that we sin. Adam and Eve, God said, in the day that you ate this tree, you would die. And they did. Even though their body continued to function biologically, they were cut off from the presence of God. And so the Bible says that they were dead. But um, that's what that's Jesus came to bring life. Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2 both speak of us being made alive in regeneration. Made alive. Even though our bodies are biologically functioning, we are said to be dead in our trespasses and sins. Cut off from fellowship with God. Jesus proves this fact of life and death of in Matthew 22 when the, in, in proving the resurrection despite the bodies of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob having turned to dust Jesus said that the Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and God is not a God of the living God is not a God of the dead but of the living got that exactly backwards Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their bodies have turned to dust in the grave, but Jesus says that God is their God, and God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living. Have you not read, he, he told the Sadducees, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. God says he is, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this, this is the one that we are to fear. And when we fear the Lord, we don't have to fear any man, anyone. Because there's no one that can harm us in any lasting way. No one. And Jesus gives us a reason here, the there are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins. In other words, two pennies. Things that you would give to your kids to play with. of Something of no significant value. And not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one of them. Not one of these birds. But the hairs of our head are numbered. Therefore do not fear. For you are of more value you are of more value than the sparrows. You can remember that. You're of more value than the sparrows in God's sight. God takes, God takes delight in His people and He beautifies the humble with salvation. And so that brings Jesus us to our uh, last 
point here and that when we don't fear men but fear God then we are not afraid to confess Jesus Christ before kings of the earth before the mighty before the people that have power over our lives power of life and death of us we're not afraid Whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Fear of man is one reason people or we do not confess God before men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. To speak a word against the Son of Man can be forgiven. That's a blasphemy. Paul was said that he was a blasphemer. But he found forgiveness. What is this difference between a blasphemy of the Son of Man, which can be forgiven, and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven? One is what we call the unpardonable sin. I think Paul gives us the answer. It's not that the Holy Spirit is somehow, um, sinning against the Holy Spirit is somehow a greater sin than sinning against, um, it's not like the, the Spirit is more important than the Son and that sinning against the Holy Spirit is a greater sin because there's a difference. No, we know that all of the persons of the Godhead are the same in substance and equal in power and authority. And so, the difference here is really speaking about what is done in ignorance versus what is not done in ignorance. See, the Holy Spirit is the one, is the spirit of revelation. It's the spirit who teaches us. It's the spirit who gives us light so that we can understand the scriptures. And Paul said when he, blas- when he was a blasphemer that he, forgiveness, uh, he found forgiveness because... He did it in ignorance. And you might say, what? Paul was one of the most educated people of his day. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was schooled in all of the doctrine. He knew the scriptures. But he did it in ignorance. He didn't have the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in, in his understanding. It was all in the flesh. It was great learning. Paul was a learned man. He was like, in the sense, he was like the Moses of the Old Testament. He, he had all the, the best learning of his day. But he, he was ignorant. Because the Holy Spirit had not given to him that light. And so all that he did, he did in ignorance. All his blasphemy, all his attack upon the church, his, his murder of Christians was done in ignorance without the light of the Holy Spirit. But, when people have the light of the Holy Spirit and then speak these words against Christ, when they do that, having been enlightened by the Spirit, then they are sinning not in ignorance. Not in ignorance. And that sin will never be forgiven. Because they crucify the Lord of glory and put him to open shame. Somebody who has committed this unpardonable sin is not somebody who is concerned in the least that they have committed this sin. They would not even consider it a sin. They're beyond that. And so this is not a sin that you need to worry about. It, it, it should say, if you have any concern that you might have done it, it's 
probably one good sign that it's not a sin you have committed. When they bring you to synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. There have been many, many, many saints who have been in this position. And as they feared the Lord and not men, they were able to stand up against the threats that were made to them to destroy their body. Bishop Hooper was one such minister of the gospel who was burned at the stake under Mary Queen Mary, sometimes called Bloody Mary, for her many martyrs that she made. And as he was brought out to the stake to be burned, he he asked the people to pray for him, which they did. And he said right before he suffered this martyrdom, he said, true it is that life is sweet and death is bitter, but eternal life is more bitter and eternal life is more sweet. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Don't fear, don't fear what men can do to you. Martin Luther was in a, a very similar situation. He lived in a day when heretics were readily burned at the stake. That was, that was uh, what was done. People that blasphemed the Lord... Um, were burned or were executed. They should have been not burned, but simply executed. And he, he was called to the Diet of Worms to give an account for what he had written. He was charged with heresy. And if he was convicted, he could have easily been uh, executed, tortured even in that day. And he was... He was asked whether he owned all of the things that he had written. And he did. He was asked about recanting. He asked for time to think. You know, th- these words are easy to read. But when we actually are in that place, these are some of the most difficult battles that we are ever called to face. And so having had time to think and to pray over the evening, he came into that court the next day, a court that was stacked, hostile, stacked against him. Every one of of his enemies that would have loved to see him executed would have been there. And this is what he said. Since your most serene majesty... And your high mightiness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer. I will give one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council. Because it is clear as noonday that they have fallen into error. And even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from the Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons. You notice the difference? He's not play-acting. What he believed, he, he, he wasn't following somebody, popular teacher. He believed these things because he was convinced by the Holy Spirit that this is what the Word of God taught. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture, or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, And if my judgment is not in this brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen.
May the Lord give us that kind of fear of Him that we fear no man ever. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word that we can that we can stake our very lives upon every word that proceeds out of Your mouth. That we can go to the stake to be burned as some of Your people have done. That we can be sawn in two knowing that we are in You. And that eternal life in You is sweet. And that no man can do anything more to our body. Father, we thank You that we belong to You in life and in death. Our faithful Lord and Savior. And we uh, do dedicate and give to You our lives. We yield to Your Spirit, Holy Spirit, Lord, all our fortune, our wealth, our homes, our families, our tr- our, all of the things that You have given to us our vocations. Lord, these are all from You and even our very bodies are are Your gift You have given to us. And it is Yours to give or to take away. And we yield it to You. We want to be use these things as Your steward. To be led by Your Spirit in them. And Lord, we ask... uh, that you would forgive us where we have feared man. That you would forgive us where we have not feared you. Lord, we do renew our commitment to be yours, to be faithful witnesses to you, to this watching world, to always be ready to give a reason of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear to anyone who asks, to everyone who asks. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.